Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they'd like to preserve in a time capsule. Well, that's usually what this podcast is, but in this episode, as part of our two-year birthday celebrations, I'm talking to a number of guests, all of whom are listeners to my time capsule. Yes, it's the listeners episode I've been promising for so long. Now, a while back, we asked you if you'd like to contact us and tell us the thing that you'd put in a time capsule. Well, we expected a couple of people to get in touch, and as it happens, hundreds of you did, which was very surprising and very pleasing. Our producer, John, read them all and picked 11 people to chat with me about the thing they'd chosen and why they'd chosen it. People from all over the world, amazingly. Some chose a thing they wanted to preserve because they cherished it, and some a thing they would like to bury and forget. So, with apologies to all the listeners who wrote to us that we just didn't have the time to talk to. Another time, I hope. Here are the often simple but sometimes extraordinary things that some of our listeners chose. Starting with Darren Fewins from Cornwall. So did John tell you what I wanted to put in? No. In fact, nobody ever tells me, because I like to be taken by surprise by it. And then, in fact, I can act as the listener. I suppose that's a bit like my job as a counsellor. If I go in there with a manual, then I'm not really listening to, to any of my clients if I do that. No. Well, let's find out what you've got to say and see what it is. Well, it's The Colour Purple. <laughs> the film or just The Colour Purple? Not Alice Walker's book ah. or the film by Spielberg, <laughs> but actually The Colour Purple. Right. So, so to give some context, uh, 
aged 11, I was at a theme park and I got catapulted off of a ride. No. It was about 100 feet up and I got catapulted out. And I had a lot of broken bones, pretty badly injured. Was in a coma for two months. For how long? For two months. Two months? Yeah, for two months. And my brain swelled to one and a half times its size and all this sort of stuff. I'm absolutely pretty fine now. Mm. But the only thing it's left me with is synesthesia. So this is where your senses overlap with each other. Mm. And everybody has a form of synesthesia. Everybody has some connections with different sounds will make them feel certain ways. Certain colours will evoke certain other senses. Mm. But about 3% of the population have got a more intense version of it. And often it's just one particular thing. Mm. But I think that as a result of the accident, my synesthesia is far more exaggerated. When I was younger, I was a music lecturer. I worked at a university in London and I played at a lot of concerts. I was concert grade pianist and all these other different things. Right. And when live music is particularly intense, dynamic, Mm. I start to see colours very vibrantly in front of me. I first noticed it in the Albert Hall. Uh, I was in the rafters and I was looking down at an orchestra and not only did the colours become vibrant, but they started to explode like fireworks. So I'm really fortunate to have that as a reaction. It's quite beautiful. Mm. Other forms of synesthesia that I've got are not so pleasant. One of them is the colour purple. When I see the colour purple, I actually get a quite a powerful taste of burnt charcoal in my mouth. And this has been going on for years. I've kind of almost adapted to it a little bit, but it's, it becomes quite tiring. Mm. So I mentioned that I work as a counsellor within the NHS, and that sometimes involves a couple of hours of case noting on a database, and the NHS database is purple. <laughs> and <laughs> So you have to sit there with the taste of burnt charcoal in your mouth all the way through. As I'm writing down details of complex issues that the clients are going through, all I want to do is throw up. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> You can trace this back directly to that accident, can you? Well, I can't remember it ever happening beforehand, but I'm also aware that I'm becoming more aware of different synesthesias that I've always had, but I thought it was normal. Right. But the purple one is starting to become problematic because recently branding has, in the last 10 years, a lot of organisations have changed their branding to purple for some reason. Really? Because you wouldn't notice unless, in fact, it was a problem. Unless it was having an impact. Yeah. So nationwide, they, about a couple of years back, changed from kind of blue and red to purple. Of course they did. Yeah, you're right. And so I can't pay my bills without feeling sick. I mean, I know a lot of <laughs> oh, people no. are paying their electricity bills at the moment. And they're all feeling a bit sick. Yeah. <laughs> feeling a bit sick but I get that Um, my beloved rugby team is the Cornish Pirates and they're sponsored by Sonostal Tribute Ales which is a purple labelled bottle of beer absolutely yeah and so their away kit has got traces of purple in it I can't watch any non-home game without wanting to throw up oh my god (laughs) even when they're winning (laughs) so (laughs) so, I'm sorry to laugh so much (laughs) You know, I, I, you know, it seems the most ridiculous thing that, that I would want to put a colour in there, but it's not a psychological process. It's a neurological process. It's mm. something I've got no control over, and, and that's the taste that appears. I suppose I'm the opposite of Samuel L. Jackson, who seems to love the colour purple. In many of his movies, he's either dressed in purple or he's got a purple prop. 
He's your least favourite actor, then, is he? I think he's wonderful, but but he sometimes makes me feel sick watching him on screen. <laughs> your acting makes me feel sick. But it does. In Unbreakable, he had a purple suit. In Changing Lanes, he wore a purple hat. In Star Wars, he had a purple lightsaber. Yeah. And I'm dreading anything that I know that he's starring in in case of what he's wearing or what he's holding in his hand. Because <laughs> I know I'm, I can't look at the screen at this point. <laughs> and, of course, that's putting a taste in my mouth. So there are things that are purple that I cannot eat as a result. So purple plums, mm. figs, eggplant, passion fruit. Blackberries are not black, they're purple. Purple sprouting broccoli. Is that, yeah. I mean, they bring that out as everybody's going to go, oh, how wonderful. I'm yeah. sick to death of the green stuff. Bring out the purple sprouting stuff. Not for you. Chaos. I cannot stand it. I mean, I've never liked prints. <laughs> I don't eat Cadbury's, you know. I would never vote UKIP, you know. <laughs> so there's one blessing then. <laughs> and then at the end of a beautiful day, when the sky is turning golden and red and orange and they go and spoil it by sometimes having traces of purple in there. I don't know yeah. if, you've, if you've seen, but there's those violets. And I, and I think, well, great, brilliant. A lovely day ruined. Thank you, Mother Earth. <laughs> the red sky at night, Darren's delight. Purple sky yeah, at Darren, night, yes. I'm going to chuck up. That's what it is for you. <laughs> I'm going to chuck up. <laughs> so I would really like to see the colour purple buried, please. Absolutely. Yeah. I would put it in there and I shall make sure there's not a trace of purple anywhere near your time capsule. Oh, oh, thank you, Mike. It's an extraordinary story and I'm so sorry that I found it so amusing. That's okay. I've not really heard of this thing of things crossing over like that. Uh, it's, it's synesthesia. Synesthesia, yeah. Strangely, I've heard that word and yet I never really knew what it meant. Well, the stats say that 3% of the population have an intense version of it, which means, what? probably comparable to some common illnesses, mm. but nobody talks about it. No. Um, the smell of leucozade. I thought that it just gave me a pleasant memory of my grandmother, uh. which was a very stable environment mm. while I was a child, and she would give me leucozade. And then about 25 years after she died, I was driving back on the M4 from London, and I stopped off in a station, and, and I... I, I picked up a bottle of Lucozade that I hadn't had in 25 years and I opened it up and all I could think about was my my grandmother mm. and I was standing in this petrol station crying my eyes out based on the smell. Well, that's more an emotional response. Yeah. But I've since identified that actually it has quite a physical impact on me when I smell it. So that's probably the three main ones. It's the lights of light music. Mm. It's the physical sensation whenever I smell Lucozade. <laughs> But definitely that thing that we're not going to mention anymore because it's buried. No. And as a thank you, I've bought you a present. I've got tickets for a concert. Uh, I'm going to buy you a bottle of Lucozade. You can sit there and you can listen to this fantastic <laughs> oh. live music and see all the colours of the spectrum up there. Unfortunately, the band's deep purple. Sorry about that. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, crikey. Thanks a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Darren, how brilliant. Very interesting and very funny. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Mike. That was wonderful. I'm glad that it's gone. So that's the colour purple in the time capsule. Yep, quite surprised me as well. Thanks, Darren. What an amazingly positive way to look at what could be a real problem in your life. OK, next we pop across the pond to North Carolina in the USA. In my mind, I'm going to Carolina. 
Well, on the internet, obviously, not in my mind. Anyway, we're going to a man called Ryan Williams. And I think that's all you need to know at this point. I'll let Ryan tell you everything else. It is, for me, very exciting, not only that people listen to this podcast, but that people all around the world listen to it. I can't believe it. Yeah, which is actually one of the first things I wanted to do was thank you. Oh. Part of the story I'm going to tell you, but I came across your podcast at a very low point in my life. Mm -hmm. I was searching, actually, for Stephen Fry for an audiobook. Oh, right, yeah. And your first podcast came up, and it was only about three weeks into you starting doing it. How extraordinary. So I have been from the very beginning, but I have an 80-mile commute. So I'm in the car for quite a while, and it has become such a joy. It's like having two friends (laughs) sitting in my car chatting, and I get to listen in while we're driving, and it is so much fun. And I I wanted to thank you also for making a long commute very tolerable. (laughs) It's very enjoyable. We all know we have to suffer those journeys in life. Oh, yes. And anything that takes away the pressure on those is marvelous. And also, I have a desire someday of being able to travel over and actually visit some of the places that people have talked about. That's always been a goal of mine. And and now I have the opportunity in my life to do more traveling. I'm hoping to do that. Well, I'm very honored, Ryan. Thank you very much. And what a piece of serendipity, then, that you should find it just at that point. Yes. Lovely. So um, I understand that we're going to talk about a good thing that you'd like to put into the time capsule and a bad thing. Yes, sir. Are they related, the two of them? They are directly related. Right. Okay. Well, how interesting. Well, let's find out what the first thing is, then. Do you want to put the good thing in first? I would like to put the good thing in first because it leads into the second thing. Okay. The thing that I would love to put into the time capsule is the sound of an emergency vehicle siren. Right. I am a paramedic, so I work on an ambulance. Oh. So that's that's the job that I that I go to do. Mm. And also, I'm the, the son of a police officer. He was a state trooper while I was growing up. So we would know that Dad was home by the whoop, 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 whoop of the siren <laughs> when he would pull into the driveway. The great thing is, Ryan, that although you're speaking to an English person, we all know those sounds extremely well because we're so used to watching American television. So we know exactly the sounds you're talking about. And the humor of that is I would classify myself as an Anglophile. Yes. And... My ambulance actually has the Nina siren on it. Uh, really? So my coworkers know when I'm the one driving in control of the siren because I will flip it over to that siren sound when going through intersections <laughs> just because it's such a foreign sound over here that people don't know what it is. So it, it draws their attention, makes me more visible. Of course, yeah. And because of that, it's given me a lifetime of being around that siren and it reminds me of all of the things that I've done, the people that I've helped Mm. and the joy of the job that I have found and the career that I've found and that I get to to pass that on from my father and hopefully on to to my children. So that's really generations of service you've given. And like my father, I also spent time in in the, the US Marine Corps so we have that service and then the public service that we've both done. My word. And rather glad that you're not in the Marines now, I should imagine. Yes. Mm. Yes, quite. Although being in the emergency medical field right now, especially with COVID, has been quite interesting. Yes, you've had two years of, well, madness, I should imagine. Oh, yes. Yes, sir. It's, it's, been, it's been interesting and exciting. Well, well done. And I have enormous admiration for you. Thank you, sir. There we are. So how does that lead on to the bad thing? So the good thing is the sound of the siren. Yes. What I would like to take away is the one time in my life that I hated that sound. Mm-hmm. I was involved in a very horrific motor vehicle collision. 
I ended up trapped inside of my own car. I thought I had broken my pelvis. It wasn't broken, thankfully. I had broken my leg. Um, I had concussed my head. And the vehicle collapsed around me like they're designed to do. Yes. And I was trapped inside of that. I was on my way to work. So I was in the area where I work. I knew my coworkers were coming to get me. I had already called 911. But the next phone call I made was to my wife. And when I called, I, I knew that I was waking her up because I travel it very early in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I told her I've, I've been involved in a collision. I'm hurt. I'm trapped. When I know more information, I'll call you. And her answer to me was, well, if you live, I'll see you at home. And if you die, they'll let me know. And she hung up the phone. Oh, Lord. And I knew in that moment that our marriage was over. Wow. And the next sound I heard was the sound of the sirens that were coming to help me. Mm. And I was trapped in that moment inside that car with all of that emotion, all of that pain. And I had the realization that our life together, the work that I've done, it had taken me away so much that she had moved on. But in that moment, at quite possibly my lowest moment, was when that realization came to me and the sound of that siren. It took my body four months. It it was the beginning of COVID, the the beginning of lockdown, Mm. before I actually came back to work because of the physical injuries. But it wasn't until I came back to work and started doing the job and helping people Mm -hmm. that I could actually hear the sound of that siren and not hate it. Yes. So the, the thing that I would love to lock away would be that moment where I didn't love what I do. Mm. I would love for that to just go away if possible. I will do my very best, Ryan. I will do my very best. It's a that's a very painful thing to remember, uh, particularly as you say something that you absolutely love, something you've been devoted to all your life, and you put all yes. that work into it. And your marriage was lost as a result of that effort and that dedication. It's quite a moment, though, to decide to tell you that, don't you think? And I I don't think that that was her intention to make that the moment, but it was my moment of realization. I, I, in looking back, I can see where we had started growing apart. I was working more. I I also teach and and train people to become paramedics. Mm -hmm. So I, I was, I was spending more time working and that pulled me away more. So there were, there were signs leading up to it, but in that moment and that reaction of if you live or die, I'm still going to hang up the phone was where it really, it, it took me to the, to the lowest point. Yes. Did your training help at that point, do you think? Um, actually, yes. To, to give you the short answer, yes. Mm-hmm. Right before the collision occurred, I saw what was going to happen. Right. And in those moments, anyone will ever tell you that if you see the accident happening, you tense up. When you tense up, it's exponentially worse. Right. So my training, I saw it. I knew I couldn't stop it. I bowed my head for a moment of prayer and just breathed out and just relaxed with it. And that really did help me survive the collision part Mm. of it. And then with my career, we have to try to find things that make us laugh. (laughs) We have to try to find things that, that bring us joy. Yes, I'm sure. The young lady that came and picked me up was a new paramedic. And I was one of her teachers. <laughs> so I am very, very particular. In fact, it's something that, that you and your listeners can learn. If you're taking a blood pressure with one of the machines, 
there's a line that goes down the inside of your arm where the artery is. Mm -hmm. The line that's on the, the cuff should line up right on top of that. If it's moved off to the side, it doesn't give you an accurate reading. It'll be close, but it won't be accurate. Right. I'm very particular about that, especially in cases like this where trauma is going to lower the blood pressure or raise the blood pressure, all of these things. Mm. Well, they've got me out of the car. They've got me into the ambulance and her partner put the cuff on my arm. And I looked over at it to make sure it was in the right position. Of course. And she reached over. She put her thumb in the middle of my forehead and she pushed my head back. And she said, I was taught well. I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Very good. And that was a moment of humor, but also of relief of if she's willing to make that joke among friends, I'm going to physically be okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And it also helped me relieve a little bit of the tension. I was able to relax and just go through the experience. And then I've been able to progress and move forward with my life. Good. But like I said, the good and the bad mixed in that one moment. Yes. Well, you can take great pride in the fact that not only did your professional skills kick in at that moment, but also that the person who was dealing with you was able to pay you that compliment in that moment. The smile on her face of, I know what I'm doing. I was taught well. (laughs) As will we all be. I can't wait to have my blood pressure taken again. I'm definitely going to check that. It would be very exciting to say to the doctor, "Uh, excuse me, uh, my friend Ryan, who's a paramedic, said that that's supposed to go along that crease there in your arm. Ryan, thank you so much. What an extraordinary thing you do. And uh, you should be very proud of yourself. And well done for getting through that trauma. Thank you, sir. The delightful Ryan Williams. I'm definitely going to watch my doctor closely next time he takes my blood pressure. I have to say, it's really thrilling that people all over the world are listening to and enjoying this podcast. Somehow, I always assumed it would just be British people. That makes this listener's episode, well, to be honest, we recorded so much there are two episodes. This is just part one. Anyway, it's shown me that you never really know where people are when you connect with them on the internet. As this next chat with one of our UK listeners, Helen Freeman, demonstrates. Have you listened to much of my time capsule? Or? Uh, yeah, it's one I discovered during lockdown. I haven't listened to all of them. I don't blame you. We've done a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am catching up. And then I got the email off John this week and thought, I'm not going to listen to any more this week because it's a little bit too much, <laughs> a bit too much pressure. <laughs> no, no, no pressure at all. My absolute hope is that eventually people will listen to this because they're confident that the people I'm talking to are interesting mm. and not just because they're famous. Yeah, that's why I listen. Mm. I find with a lot of podcasts that I listen to that the people I think, oh, I've never heard of them, are the people that I go, oh, that was really interesting. Yeah, well, I hope that turns out to be the case. We'll see. Yeah. Anyway, Helen, we're going to talk to you about something that you would like to put into a time capsule. Yes. Well, it's a fairly recent thing, actually. Mm. I know a lot of your guests go miles back into their past. I've only gone back a month or so. Wow. But I was listening to your Nick Knowles podcast and you said that he came up with the little things that make you think about the big things. Yes. And I think that fits this. And it is a little thing. It's been in my back pocket this whole time. It's a gift voucher for a shop. The sort of thing you used to get at Christmas from people who couldn't be bothered to buy your presents. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly that. So it's a gift voucher for a shop that I never shop in. And I'm not going to say what it's called in case the person who bought it for me ever listens to this podcast (laughs) and goes, well, you said you liked it. It was very thoughtful. They just got a shop that I never shop in because... No, no. There are lots of people who don't go to Ann Summers. That's fine. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was discussed. It was mentioned that might be one of the things I would be getting, and I'm very glad it wasn't. Anyway, so I got this gift voucher, and it annoyed me a little bit. Didn't say anything to them, just went, oh, lovely, thank you very much. Hmm. But silently, I was like, oh, what am I going to do with this now? And this is going to make me sound awful, and I've never done this before. <laughs> but I thought, well, the genuine is nothing in that shop that I want. So I can either go and buy something that I don't want just for the sake of buying it, mm. or I can sell it on a well-known auction site. <laughs> oh, it's not the BBC, is it? I can sell it on eBay. Yeah. So I did. And I'd said in the description, I can post you the card, but I can also send you the codes off it, and you can use it online as soon as you've paid. Mm-hmm. So I sold it on... 23rd of February this year. And the guy who bought it messaged me and said, I don't need the card sending. Can you just send me the codes? So I sent him the codes. And then I kept getting loads of reminders from eBay saying, post the card, post the card. (laughs) So I marked it as dispatched and I sent him a message on the 25th Mm. and said, if you get an email saying I've posted the card, I haven't posted it because I've sent you codes and you said you didn't need it. But let me know if you decide you do want it. Yes. And he messaged me back. And went, no, it's okay. Don't worry about sending me the card. I live in the Ukraine. Ukraine was invaded on the 24th. Wow. He went, it wouldn't get through anyway. Oh, no. Um, There's nothing in your life that prepares you for that, is there? For somebody saying, oh, I live in a war zone now. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was just kind of, wow. Because I'd been watching the news, the same as everyone. Mm. And then suddenly I have a message in my inbox from someone who is living there. Yes. And how do you respond to that? How did you respond to that? I think I, I talked about, you know, the news that we're getting and that the international community is is on the side of the Ukraine. And then I went through this whole thing of what am I going to do with this money? Because this doesn't feel right. No. So I've donated it to organisations, charities that are working in the Ukraine. Great. I kept, I have kept in touch with them over the last month or so anyway, sort of mm. intermittently. So in fact, that really crap present that you got turned out to be quite a nice thing. Yeah. Because you can feel as if you've had some involvement in this terrible thing and done something for it. Do you know, I've got this theory. What do you think about this? Do you know when they say to you, do you want your points on your yeah. club card? And they said, you want your points? Mm-hmm. And lots of people say, no, no, I can't be bothered to carry all those cards around with me. Mm-hmm. Don't you think it'd be nice if we could all say, no, I don't want them, but please do give them to charity? Yeah, I don't think they do that, do they? That would be good. And I think mm-hmm. there ought to be a charity point at all those tills. You ought to be able to say, no, I don't yeah. want it, but just give it to, what's your charity this month? They could so easily just give those points to charities. Don't you think that would make a massive difference? Yeah, every little helps, as Tesco said. Indeed. Everything you want from a store and a little bit more for charity. Oh, who was that? Who was that advert? Everything you want from a store and a little bit more. I remember it. Um, The one that's gone. Began with an S. Safeway. Safeways, yeah. Everything you want from a store and a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Helen, I think that's very good that you've given that to those people. And I think you almost ought to tell the people who sent you the voucher in the first place. I'm thinking about it. Mm. I think they'd be all right. I think they'd understand. Well, I think they ought to understand that clearly the voucher Mm -hmm. that you got was for a shop that you thought, understandably, (laughs) why would I buy clothes from there? Do you think I'd dress like that? Is that the sort of thing I would like? because I know what the name of the store is, but I'm not going to tell anyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that really you have the right to make the point and say, no, why didn't you give me a voucher for Gucci? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I could have bought a pencil sharpener or handkerchief. <laughs> yes, one corner of one. Yeah. Well, there we are, Helen. Okay. Well, I will then take that voucher and put it safely into the time capsule for you. Mm-hmm. And well done. Thank you. I've quite enjoyed this. Good. Yeah. So that NAF voucher has given me, a, well, given a couple of good things now. <laughs> the present just keeps on giving. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it forever. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Helen Freeman there, with a timely reminder that no one really likes getting a gift voucher for their birthday. I hope my wife's listening to this. Right, it's time for us to take a short ad break now, but we'll be back with more listeners very soon. See you in a minute. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome back. Okay, when you left us, I'd just spoken to Helen Freeman, who showed us that the world is a much smaller place than we think it is. And if you doubt that, here to prove it is Bridget Schreibers from, well, from New Zealand, as I think her accent demonstrates. But I'll let Bridget tell you exactly where she's from. So whereabouts are you exactly? A tiny town called Tokamaru which is close to Palmerston North. Okay. Which is famous for John Cleese likening it to the suicide capital and we named a rubbish dump after him. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. It's basically Palmy's only claim to fame. In fact, the latest campaign I saw for them was something along the lines of Palmerston North. It's boring. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. That's what we want. Yeah, thanks, guys. (laughs) Yes. So what do you do? Uh, mostly I'm mum, I'm staying at home looking after the kids, mm-hmm. and I'm a volunteer firefighter, so sometimes at the drop of a hat, mummy has to leave. <laughs> wow. I run off and be a hero. <laughs> but I suppose in very rural areas, it's like America has that, doesn't it, a great system of volunteer firefighters? Yeah, our station's very small, and we only get about 40 calls a year, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's it's what I enjoy doing and gives me something outside of being a mum. So. Yeah, which is fairly full-time. Okay, Bridget, so we're going to talk about something from your life that you'd like to put into a time capsule. Yes. That's the game. I love the game. Great. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I thought hard about this one. 
And my first thought was my tattoos, but I don't fancy being skinned. So <laughs> I went for option B, which is a personal line. It's a length of rope and it should have a figure of eight knot in the end if it's done by me. Mm-hmm. There's kind of quite a few reasons, but I guess it starts at a high school. Right. I did civil defence in PE in seventh form and we had a teacher who was really into it. And so he taught us to tie knots with our eyes closed behind our backs. And I thought... <laughs> Doesn't one of those make the other redundant, but okay, I'll do it. (laughs) And then when I went to university, one of my friends from high school joined the rescue team and he said, you need to come and join this, you'll really like it. And it was civil defence. So I joined the rescue team and Mm -hmm. it's an urban search and rescue team. So if buildings fall down, we come in and pull you out. Wow. Essentially what you do is train for many, many years and never expect to use it a day in your life. No. And doing this, I met my husband it was an exercise in an old freezing works, practicing rescue. And I was actually being a casualty, screaming. And I was a drama student, which helps. <laughs> um, so I was screaming and crying for hours on end, pretending that I, you know, was a small child, terrified and alone in an earthquake. <laughs> yeah, drama students do that all the way through the lunch break. <laughs> exactly. It's great practice. <laughs> um, but he was there and he was actually meant to be an observer, but I kept yelling at him and telling him to go away and I didn't like him. And when we actually met at the party later... I decided he was quite a nice boy, and uh, we've been together 17 years now. Oh, great. So that worked. Yes. And so the rope's kind of been there through that. And then mm. Christchurch in 2011 had a really big earthquake, and the buildings fell down and people needed saving. Mm. And we went, oh, wow, it's actually happened. We never thought no. <laughs> it would actually happen. And all my friends and their teams went down to Christchurch to help. But then we get a phone call from our friends saying, They need more people. Everyone's exhausted. Can you come? Mm -hmm. And we said, yeah. (laughs) And we went to Christchurch for a week and the rope came with me. Yes. So do you actually go into buildings that have been damaged? Yes. That's terrifying. (laughs) The most terrifying was actually accompanying engineers. So we were their safety, basically. And they would look at the building and decide if the building was safe. Mm. And I remember... (laughs) Engineers are really fit, (laughs) so we're trying to keep up with these engineers going to all these buildings. (laughs) But the worst is we walked up these stairs, and the bottom floor had seemed fine, and we got, I think, two floors up, and I just heard the engineer walk in and go, oh, no. And the whole ceiling was just sagging, and a concrete support had birdcaged, and just the whole thing was slumped. Oh, my God. And so if that's happening on the second floor, Mm -hmm. it's got the weight. I think this was about a nine-story building, so we had about nine floors above And the engineer still wanted to go up a level. Oh, my God. (laughs) At which point we went, do we have to? Have we not proven (laughs) that this is possibly not a good building We should get out. Yes. (laughs) And what happens when there are people inside, trapped? I wasn't there for that stage, but for the people who were, you do a reconnaissance first and you triage. So you decide, basically, if you can get up and walk, come over here. And if you can't, I'll come and check you and see what level of assistance you need. Most of that, though, is really done by the people who were there when the building fell. So it's not us rescuers, it's the co-workers or the friends or passers-by who see what happened. It is amazing, isn't it, how quickly people, having been in a situation where their life was put at risk, will then almost immediately turn around and put their lives at risk again in order to help other people. It's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, if, if you want your faith restored in humanity... That's where you look, I think. Mm. It's it's pretty powerful. Yes. The whole time you're just thinking, is this a movie set? Is this just a really elaborate exercise? You keep seeing reminders that it's real. You see someone's homework on the floor. You see oh. some buildings, the front fell off, but the things in the room were still in place. 
you could just see into someone's lounge mm. and everything was where it should be, but the whole front of the building was missing. Yes. It was very surreal. The fragility of life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then with the rope, I have a similar one in my fire gear as a volunteer firefighter. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about it. I've been in the brigade eight years and I have never used the rope <laughs> at a call. But you have to have it in your pocket because what if you need it one day? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry. That would be the day that you needed it. The day you went, why am I taking this thing around with me all the time? I'm mad. Take it out. So I'm, I'm the brigade rope geek. They call on me <laughs> if we need to practice. It's usually, right, Bridget. Come and teach us how to do this. <laughs> well, yeah, those things can save your life. Definitely. And you need to practice a lot because if you're not using it often, it can get quite confusing. Well, I should imagine that anything you do in a situation that's a practice, then you're quite calm about it. But suddenly, in a moment of panic or a moment of danger, that has to be instinctive. It does. Another big one is you can rely so heavily on your teammates. You know that if you have a hiccup and think, oh, I've suddenly forgotten how to do this, mm-hmm. your buddy next to you is going to go, just, uh, you know, push on the chest a bit. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you sort of can tell pretty quickly when your teammate needs you to step in mm-hmm. and when they've got it. And it's a really interesting bonding experience, working out how to deal with each other's strengths and weaknesses. How brilliant that you've learnt this thing all that way back and that it stayed with you all this time and has been so useful. Yes. The other thing we've used the rope for in a more family sense is, do you know jolly jumpers that you put babies in? Yes. We used it to rig the jolly jumper from the middle of the ceiling. (laughs) And so that rope, while I was on leave from the fire... The team having a baby got used for that, so it's kind of got that family link. And we've also now built ourselves a climbing wall, and so now the rope's being used for the kids as a safety line so they can practice climbing up a couple of metres. And... Well, that's the perfect test for it, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. If you trust it on your own children, then I think you know what you're doing. <laughs> True. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I won't question at all the fact that you and your husband practice tying knots with rope. I won't go into that at all. There is a handcuff knot, but I wouldn't know anything about that. Brilliant. <laughs> Which I can tie with my eyes closed behind my back. <laughs> in sure. the dark, in other words. Okay, right. Oh, yes. Fair enough. No, we'll go no further. Bridget, how lovely to meet you. I'm going to put that rope safely into the time capsule for you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Who would have thought a little bit of rope could have told us so much? What a pleasure it was to meet Bridget and to chat with her on the other side of this ever-shrinking world. Although it does beg the question, why can't the BBC get internet connections as good as mine? Thank you. Although in this next one, we're only connecting with the Manchester area, where Andre Barron, my next guest, spoke to me from. And like Helen Freeman, he's also been using eBay, but with quite different results. So we're going to talk about something good that you'd like to put into the time capsule, is that right? It is, yes. So my object, it's a water bottle. Gentleman Jack 2. Yes. Now there's a story behind this. Okay. So I'm a bit of a sucker for a charity auction and I follow the actor Steve Everts from Looking for Eric and Brassic fame. And he was putting out some items for auction. And this particular bottle, he'd obviously done some filming on Gentleman Jack 2. And he was actually auctioning something for an arts charity. Mm. And I'm a sucker for things like that because my wife's a drama graduate. My eldest is studying drama and theatre studies and film studies. And with all of this, knowing that the arts 
the funding is just being cut left, right and centre. Yeah. My view was, well, we need to support it. Mm-hmm. And this was a great charity to sort of actually support. So I went upstairs and said to my wife, can I bid for this? Have I got a limit? <laughs> and as the bids went higher, I'm thinking, am I going to win this? And the clock stopped and Steve announced Andre is the winner. Oh, brilliant. He said that he would come round to the house and pass it over himself and have a cuppa. Oh, how brilliant. Oh, he, what a wonderful guy. We spent an hour or so in the garden. I wasn't expecting anything. It was wonderful. And he was telling me all about the charity. I put my donation into the charity. Simon, the creative director, got back in touch with me. And then I explained what the arts meant to us as a family. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned about Ollie and going to Berry College and said, we'll do some work with the college. Then a few days later, 53-2, uh, the charity got in touch because they were opening their new venue. And I got an invite. Would you and your wife like to come to our open evening? So they had actually sort of taken on new premises under what was the old GMEX Centre in Manchester. I don't know whether you're familiar with that. Yeah, I remember it well, yes. Fantastic. So they've got a couple of arches, 53-2, which they were opening. Right. They've got one arch, which will be a 150-seater theatre. Brilliant. And the other is a bar venue, and it was the bar venue that was being opened And we went to this open evening and towards the end of the evening, the creative director, Simon, came over to me and we had this most wonderful chat, just was really interested in us, thanked us for the donation and then said, and what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I work in finance, I'm an accountant, I'm just local. If there's anything you guys need doing, just give me a shout. I'm always happy to sort of help out. He said, Well, the trustees, we've been looking for someone with some financial experience to come and join our board of trustees. Oh, my word. He said, there's no pressure. See if it's something you'd be interested in. So we had this most wonderful chat. He was telling me about the vision for the charity, how to develop and Mm. how to grow it. I just thought, this is something I've got to give back to some of my expertise. It went to the trustees. They then asked to meet with me. We had to do it all over Zoom. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. (laughs) But we had this most wonderful chat. And at the end, Simon got in touch and said, we'd love you to join us as a trustee. Would you do that? Oh, fantastic. And so from... From this very simple thing, from that water bottle that you bought because you were sort of interested in in itself, came these extraordinary sequence of things. They do say that giving is the best way of receiving, don't they? Oh, it's wonderful. You get so much out of it. Um, I know I'm very fortunate, but I've always been brought up to, if you can help someone and give of your best, do it. Yes. I'm going to try and do one of these auctions then, because I've got things like that. And this podcast, we support a charity that I'm the patron of in Soham, and they've just built their own theatre. Oh, fantastic. And they've done it entirely by raising the money themselves. It's quite extraordinary. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, they had their first performance. The children performed their first show there, which was We Will Rock You. Wow. Which is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I couldn't get to it. I was really annoyed, but I'm sure it was brilliant. They're always brilliant. Yeah. The one thing I was able to do was I was able to get in touch with loads of people who've been on this podcast and ask them if they would record a little message on the phone. And the response I got from lots of people was fantastic. So they were able to show a film at the beginning that had Stephen Fry and Joe Pasquale and Anthony Head and somebody who's not been on the podcast yet, the writer of We Will Rock You, 
Ben, ben Elton, Elton sent a message. Oh, fantastic. He sent him a message from Australia. So they were able to show this little montage of quite famous people saying, well done, Viva, that's what they're called. Yeah. And, you know, go out there and rock them. Oh, wonderful. It's a simple thing to do, isn't it? So you're right. If you have the ability to do something, don't hold back. No, this is it. And I think the premise for 53 too, just like you would know with the ventures you're involved in, I know that it's a case of the art should be for all. Yes. With the venue, it was more of it needed to be disabled, access friendly. So it's a nice gentle mm-hmm. gradient. I think they've got like signing for some of the shows as well. And it's just yeah. everybody needs to be inclusive. It's not just about how much money you've got and if you can afford it. For tickets, it's like, don't worry if you can't afford it. There's provision for all of that. And Brilliant. It's something you just, you just want to get involved in and it's actually spreading spreading the word. Fantastic. I'll let you know the next time I'm up in Manchester and you can take me along and give me a show around. Definitely. Some great beers and obviously some great pies as well. <laughs> I'm on a train tomorrow. <laughs> Andre, thank you very much and congratulations. Enjoy that bottle. Thank you. I'm sure the water tastes pure and sweet. It does. Thank you so much. Manchester, la la la. Manchester, la la la. Right, it's time for our final guest in the first part of our listeners' episodes. And to meet her, we're heading off to the US of A again, to a little place called Marshfield in Massachusetts. Yeah, sadly, James Taylor didn't write a song about it, but it's near the beautiful city of Boston. Boston! Boston! No, that wasn't a song of his either. But it's where Pamela Murphy is going to tell us about what inspired her to write to us and why she chose this special person from her life to go into her time capsule. Every time I finish an episode, I I think about what I would put in, you know? And so when you announce this thing that I thought, oh, I have a story and this is what I think about all the time. And this is, this is always the story I go to when I think about what I would put in that capsule. So what is the thing, Pam, that you constantly think of? Well, it's the day that my grandmother drove a golf cart. Right. Now, Everyone loves their grandmother. Grandmothers offer this special kind of unconditional love. You're a grandfather. You mm-hmm. you sort of know. But this story is important because you sort of have to understand my grandmother's backstory. You'll have to understand her joie de vivre, her exuberance, her everlasting optimism mm-hmm. to sort of get the story. Because she was born in Poland in 1912. She was the youngest by a lot of a really large family. Her mother had died shortly after her birth and like the closest in age brother had passed away at like age 17 or something like that. Mm. And she was sort of raised to be a bit of a maid for her stepmother. Stepmother wasn't always very kind to her. So at some point, I don't know how old she was, she sort of escaped that servitude life and emigrated to Belgium to live with another sibling. And then she got married, she had some kids, and then the Nazis invaded Belgium in 1940. So she and her husband, who was also a Jewish immigrant from Poland, who she had met in Belgium, they hid in an attic, just like Anne Frank. And their children were taken in by some nuns. There's all sorts of stories about the Belgian nuns who saved Jewish kids during the war. Mm-hmm. But my father and his brother were, were two of those kids. But she was so desperate to see her kids that my grandfather never left the attic, but she ended up getting fake papers and she acquired some 
gold cross earrings and a gold cross that she could wear around her neck so that her fake papers and the jewelry, if she got stopped by the Gestapo in Brussels, then they would probably let her go. And she did that mm. so she could go see her kids. So she traveled on the train to where they were. I think they were in Louvain to go visit them like every couple of months. And this was for the entire duration of the war. So from 1940 to 1945, that's what their life was like. And then war ended. And, and in 1951, she emigrated with her family to the United States sponsored by another sibling. And she lived a fairly normal life. Their standard of living was different because back in Brussels, they had a successful business. And when they got to the United States, my grandfather was just like a tailor. But she learned English by reading the newspaper every day and translating in her English-French dictionary. So she learned English. She raised two sons and but the most important part of that life was that she spent a lot of time giving back to her community, to her new country, to her city, to philanthropic organizations. She gave of herself, her time, her, whatever money she had. She was always a giver. Mm. And then later in life, she came to visit me when she was in her late 70s. And she was still a legend. <laughs> she made chicken barley soup for all her neighbors to cure their ills, whether they were mental illnesses or physical illness. She always made the chicken barley soup. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> and she served regularly as a volunteer grandmother at a children's receiving home where children who were taken from dangerous situations or bad caretakers were taken to this facility. Mm -hmm. So sort of like a, a waypoint before they sorted out if they were going to go to foster care or some other relative or something. And she went there so she could hold the babies and play with the toddlers. Wow. And she did that two and three times a week. But she also, she was a, like a volunteer at Assisted Living Center for Old People. Now, this is in, up to her in, in her 80s. And she would go there and like <laughs> push the wheelchairs and get them down to the dining rooms and talk to them and listen to them. But she never learned to drive. So all the transportation that she had for shopping and volunteering or she had these weekly appointments to get her hair and nails done, you know, mm. they were via her feet or mass transit. But she knew the name of every bus driver and every regular passenger on her route. And she lived in a working class, multi-ethnic neighborhood, but she knew all the people's names. She knew all her neighbors' names, their kids' names, their grandkids. And she considered all of these people her friends. Like, she would call them her friends. Like, my lovely Korean lady who works at the market. <laughs> my Greek man who has a vegetable garden. <laughs> yeah. And then as a family member, she had this way of making you feel that you were the most special, the most precious and that you were her favorite. Mm. And to this day, my sister and my cousins, we still dispute which one of us she liked best. <laughs> <laughs> but the best thing about Grandma Fanny was that she was always up for adventure. She was always bubbling with excitement. And that was one of the main reasons why people loved her instantly, because she was just had that effervescence, I guess. New food, new places, new people. They were like, a tonic to her. Mm. So I asked her to come to the golf course with me. And of course she went, you know, it wasn't even that unusual for her to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> so halfway through the round, I asked her if she would like to drive the golf cart. <laughs> now <laughs> she'd never, never driven anything in her life, not a car, not a truck, not a bicycle even. So she needed like a quick lesson in like steering and braking. And she was so happy-go-lucky and game for anything that this, she's this tiny woman, 4'11". She, she just put the pedal to the metal and we were off. I can't remember the ride exactly, except it was like Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And 
Mr. Toad <laughs> was a, a ride at Disneyland, and I think it's like based on some British kid's book or something. It is Wind in the Willows. Is that it? Okay. <laughs> Wind in the Willows, yes. <laughs> Exactly. And it was this great ride and you were in these little cars, you'd go around this track and things would shoot out at you. And it was one of my favorite rides. But anyway, that's what it felt like on this golf cart. It was like a Benny Hills music in the background or something. It's <laughs> yes, like, of course. <laughs> every video that has ever been shot of somebody driving a golf cart erratically, that's what this ride was. But the thing is the joy that was coming out of her was indescribable. I'm saying, I mean, this is a woman who escaped domestic abuse, hid from Nazis, emigrated, started a new life, learned a new language, buried two husbands, but she still found pleasure in experiencing new things. Like she threw her head back and just laughed till she cried and she's cackling. And, you know, we were like off the cart path over the hills, careening around the sand traps. I'm hanging on for dear life. The clubs are rattling in the back. And she's just laughing. (laughs) You can get a lifetime ban. How brilliant. Isn't it extraordinary that out of a life of that sort of adversity, what she develops is just an enthusiasm for life. She develops a love of it. And every moment to her is precious. Do you think that comes from the awareness that at a time in her life, every moment was precious, that it may well be her last? To take the risk of going on public transport with a gold cross on and trying to pass as a Christian, if she'd been caught, that was it. Mm -hmm. And not only that, it was probably it for her children. Right. Because they would have been traced. So it was an extraordinary risk to take. Yeah, she was very, very brave. Mm. But I'm not sure she ever... I think she just was a doer as well. Yeah. There's something that I think about when I'm sad or I feel discouraged. I think back to that point and because her happiness in that moment, but she was living in that moment so fully and despite everything else, you know, despite what happened before and after, you're right. And despite being old. Exactly. (laughs) For so many people, you get old and you go, well, I'm old now. You know, I'm going to have to slow down. I can't do as much. And you become miserable because you're old. You think, well, why am I so bloody old? (laughs) I love the idea of people getting old and going, well, then I better grab it while I can. Exactly. And because she never thought she was old either, because she was helping elderly people. And my friends still laugh about that. They laugh that say, I remember being at your grandma's house and her saying, oh, I got to go now, kids, because I have to go feed the elderly. (laughs) (laughs) So My mother was exactly the same. Oh, that's wonderful. She died at 99, and she was, you know, like she was a little deaf and a little blind at this point, but she was still under her own power. She still walked. But that joy that day is something that I want to bottle, and I want that in the time capsule. Mm. Well, thank you for telling us about it, because I have to say, having heard about it, it's an image that would inspire us all. I will just picture... Granny Fanny. I just love the fact that she's Granny Fanny. I think it's just perfect. I will picture Granny Fanny weaving all over the golf course, throwing her head back and roaring with laughter. That's wonderful. What a fantastic woman. (laughs) Yeah, she was. Bless you for telling us about that. That's just gorgeous. Thank you. I'm happy to share that story. Yeah, we could all do with one of her in our lives. (laughs) I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for her. But you wouldn't be on this podcast, Pam. (laughs) How brilliant. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guests, Darren Fewins, Ryan Williams, Helen Freeman, Bridget Schreibers, Andre Barron, and Pamela Murphy. And that's just part one. 
I think it makes it fairly obvious that most people have a story to tell, if we just take the time to listen. If you enjoyed this episode, then we have plenty of other episodes, mostly with just one guest. And you can subscribe to this podcast on all providers to find out instantly whenever we release a new episode. Please do rate the show, and if you have the chance, write a small review to help others find us. You can follow me or my time capsule on most social media, where we're happy to answer any questions you may have. We love a Twitter chat. You can listen to the theme tune by Pass the Peas Music anytime on Spotify. You just search the obvious My Time Capsule theme tune. This was a cast-off production for Acast. The producer was John Fenton Stevens. Thanks for listening. Do share this podcast with your friends, as the more people who listen, the more chance we have of making enough money to keep it going. Although we do really appreciate all the messages of support, and now actually meeting some of the people we rely on. Isn't the internet wonderful? Well, mostly. I say mostly, as a mate of mine told me about trying internet dating for the first time. (laughs) Idiot. It was a disaster. He said he'd like to meet someone short, cute, with a love of swimming. They sent him on a date with a penguin. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.